Glory to God. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. <laughs> well, that's what happens at the end here with Enoch. He ends up in glory. Praise the Lord. Uh, everybody should have an outline. Um, how about we read the title together? Taking the pattern of Abel, Enosh, and Enoch as the way to live an overcoming life. Well, you know, at the beginning of Genesis, um, when man fell, fell into sin, fell away from God, but yet here, here at the beginning of the Bible, we can see that there is a way to live an overcoming life uh, and eventually to even be uh, one who escapes the ultimate issue of the fall, which is death. That's what happened to Enoch, and we'll see that tonight. Uh, These three people, Abel, Enosh, and Enoch, should be patterns to us. Actually, there's one more, and that's Noah, but we'll get to him next week. But we need to consider these three this week. Um, And, you know, I was considering, um, do you want to live an overcoming life? Uh, Will you make this choice (laughs) to be an overcomer? You know, God needs overcomers today. Uh, When Adam was created in the image and likeness of God, uh, God's intention was that Adam would express God and would represent God with his authority on the earth. Particularly over the creeping things, which is uh, Satan, right? He's the biggest creep. Uh, But man was created to uh, have authority uh, and represent God and rule over um, and have dominion and express God. But we know this first man, Adam, he failed. And the whole race of Adam has failed God because sin came in. Um, So then... Uh, A few chapters later, in Genesis 12, God calls one man, Abraham. And he became the father of the called race. Um, And Abraham, it was told, that he would have two different categories of descendants. There would be the earthly descendants. God told him that your seed, uh, your offspring, your descendants will number as the sand on the seashore. Those represent the earthly descendants of Abraham who are the Jews, right? They're descended by blood from Abraham. But Abraham was also told he would have descendants that would number as the stars in the heavens. These are the spiritual descendants of Abraham who are all the Christians. Uh, The Apostle Paul tells us this in Romans, that uh, the real Jews are those who are not circumcised in the flesh outwardly, but inwardly in the heart. And he's talking about the Christians. The Christians, by faith, are those who are the spiritual descendants of Abraham. But listen, the Adamic race failed God. The Abrahamic race, uh, earthly descendants, failed God. When, when, When Christ came, the very Messiah, the one whom they prophesied would come, when he came, they rejected him. Uh, Even they instigated the government to put him to death. Um, So they failed God. Then, uh, how about the Christians? Uh, We know at the very end of the Bible in Revelation, uh, we see that 
the spiritual descendants of Abraham have also failed God. So there's a need and there's a call in Revelation for the overcomers. Who would overcome? To him who overcome, there's a sevenfold call to the overcomers. And this pattern at the beginning of Genesis with Abel, Enosh, and Enoch shows us the way to live an overcoming life. To be the very overcomers uh, plus Noah. We want, we'll get to Noah next week. So let's consider then uh, Abel. Uh, let's read Roman number one together. Abel was an overcoming martyr. Right, he, he was an overcoming martyr who cared only for God's purpose, not for his own existence. Uh, you know, a martyr is someone who um, is killed because of their faith in God, right? Because of their pursuit of God, their love of the Lord, uh, and following Him, eventually they get killed. That's what happened to Abel. And he was one who cared only for God's purpose, not for his own existence. Well, let's read these verses. How about we have the brothers on verse 1, sisters on 2. We'll just alternate through these five verses to see the background here. Go. And the man knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain and said, I have acquired a man, Jehovah. And Abel was a tender of sheep, was a tiller of the ground. And in the course of time, Cain brought an offering to Jehovah from the fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought an offering from the firstlings of his flock, that is, from their fat portions. And Jehovah had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering, he had no regard. And Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. And then, of course, we know just a few verses later, he kills his brother Abel. Uh, So uh, that's the background. And what we see here uh, is that Abel was a person who cared only for God's purpose, not his own existence. Um, You know, at this time, this is before Noah's flood. And before that time, man was not permitted to eat animals, uh, only only vegetables, the, the plant life. So what was Abel doing? Tending sheep. He was raising sheep. Cain was there taking care of his livelihood. He was taking care of his crops. He was a tiller of the ground. And he offered some of his produce to God. But Abel, listen, he offered the firstlings of his flock to God. How did he know to do this? Let's read point A. Abel took God's way of worshiping God according to God's divine revelation, not according to his concept. Abel had a revelation. He had a revelation. And that revelation came through hearing something from his parents. See, it goes on. It says, Abel's faith came from hearing the word of the gospel from his parents. Therefore, what Abel did to worship God came out of a revelation. Okay, let's, let's go back a little bit to, to his parents, Adam and Eve. 
God told Adam that in the day that you eat of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. Well, in the course of time, the serpent deceived Eve. She partook of that tree and got the poisonous element of the satanic nature into her. And she convinced her husband, Adam, to also partake of that tree. And they realized they were naked. They hid. They hid from God. They covered themselves with fig leaves. Then God comes and he says, where are you? Well, surely they thought they were going to die. They thought God was going to kill them. But instead, what did God do? He preached the gospel to them. He said, this woman is going to have a descendant, a seed, and that seed of this woman is going to destroy that serpent. He's going to deal with that serpent. Well, as soon as Adam heard that, he turned to his wife and called her name Eve, which means living. We're going to live. We're not going to die. We're going to live. This is the good news, right? There's going to be a descendant from this woman that is going to deal with that serpent, that evil serpent. And then, right away, God, it says that God killed some animals and he took the skins of those animals and made coats of skins for them and covered them, clothed them with the skins of the animals. Probably those were sheep. Thanks to Kerry Ard, he shared a verse with us last week. Did anybody remember that from Proverbs? Proverbs twenty-seven twenty-six. It says that the lambs will be for your coats of skin. <clears throat> uh, probably God killed some lambs, some sheep there, and he clothed them. Of course, we know that Christ is the, re, uh, the real Lamb of God, right? Who takes away the sin of the world. So in figure there, Christ was slain. They, they should have died. But instead of them dying, these animals died in their place. And they were covered, they were clothed with the skins of these animals. Signifying Christ, clothing us as our righteousness. You know, have you believed into Christ? If you have, then you are now clothed with Christ. And so when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't see a sinner, he sees Christ. Because you're clothed with Christ. Christ is your righteousness. So there's the shedding of blood, uh, prefiguring the, the sacrifice of Christ, and so forth. But anyways, Abel, as one of the children of Adam and Eve, surely heard this story over and over again from the parents. But with Abel, something happened to him. Faith got imparted. You know, faith comes from hearing, according to Romans ten seventeen. So, uh, Hebrews eleven four, one of the references there in point A, it says that by faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. And faith comes from hearing. So he must have heard from his parents, and he got a revelation. He saw God's way. God's way. You know, Cain invented his own way. Cain invented a new way to worship God, but without Christ. He invented the first religion. You know, what is religion? Religion is man's attempt to worship God or please God, but without Christ. So Abel 
took God's way according to the revelation that he had from the hearing of faith. Uh, That's why his sacrifice, uh, his offering was approved by God. And then B says, Abel was the first priest of God, living for God and by God, and in type, offering Christ to God. Do you know, as as a believer, as a New Testament believer, you are a priest. You don't need to hire someone to offer Christ to God for you. Uh, You are a priest, right? Just like Abel. And then C says, Because Abel presented offerings with the shedding of blood according to God's revelation and was accepted by God, he incurred Cain's hatred and religious jealousy and was killed by Cain. Well, we don't want to talk much about Cain tonight. But, but you need to be aware. If you're going to live an overcoming Christian life, if you're going to be pursuing the Lord, enjoying the Lord, taking God's way, uh, having, the, having Christ dispensed into your being day by day, be aware that religious ones will be jealous and they will persecute you. Of course, in our country, uh, it's unlikely you're going to get killed. <laughs> but... There will be slander, there will be accusations, there will be negative speaking. Uh, Why do you have to be so much, Amanda? Uh, Can't you just go to church once a week for an hour? Why do you have to give so much time to this Christian thing? Right? Just all kinds of accusations and negative speaking. And this kind of speaking comes not from atheists. Actually, the atheists could care less what you do with your life. It's the religious people that are the ones who will attack you um, because jealousy is stirred up. Um, it happened here with Cain. It happened with the Lord Jesus. You know, he was, he was put to death by religious people. In fact, numerous times it, it mentions jealousy there, envy. Um, And the disciples of Jesus, after the Lord was crucified and resurrected, they went out, they began to preach the gospel, and they were frustrated and hindered and killed by religious people. So, uh, it's still happening today. Now, point D, you need to know this. The issue of Cain's going out from the presence of the Lord was the producing of a culture without God. Well... We know, you know, Cain, after the Lord approached Cain and he lied about killing his brother and so forth, eventually he left the presence of the Lord. And then the next chapter shows how he developed a whole culture uh, on the earth to replace God. You know, there in the Garden of Eden, God was man's pleasure man was made to enjoy and so forth. Well, God was man's pleasure there in the Garden of Eden. God was man's protection in the Garden. God was man's provision. He provided everything that Adam needed for his existence. But once they left the presence of God, once Cain left the presence of God, he had to begin to fend for himself. He had to, well, it talks about his descendants, how uh, one of his descendants was the father of all those who, who have cattle raising for their provision, for their livelihood. That was invented by a descendant of Cain. Another descendant, it says he was the father of all those who uh, make weapons from iron and brass and so forth. 
What for? For protection. Another descendant, it says he was the father of all those who play the harp and the flute and the lyre and so forth, the different musical instruments for entertainment, for amusement. So once man leaves the presence of God, he has to invent and develop a whole culture to replace God. You know, some people like to travel abroad to uh, visit different countries and they talk, they come back and they talk about how that, oh, that culture is so rich or that culture is so good or this and that. Yeah, it's a good replacement of God. You know, this, this particular country has a great replacement of God. We could talk about the American culture. It's a great replacement for God, right? It's, it has everything you could want. There's a niche for everyone. Um, well, just remember, um, that's the issue of man's leaving the presence of God and having to develop uh, something to replace God. Okay, now we come to Roman numeral 2. In human history, Enosh was the landmark of one who called upon the name of Jehovah. I like this word, the landmark. Uh, There's a landmark here. Let's read these verses together. Go. And Adam knew his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and called his name Seth. For, she said, God has appointed me another seed instead of Abel, because Cain slew him. And to Seth also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. At that time, men began to call upon the name of Jehovah. Well, Enosh literally means frail or weak. So when man realized that he was weak and frail... That's when he began to call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, Abel, by the way, means vanity. It means vanity. Um, Because Eve thought her first son, Cain, was going to be this promised seed that would deal with the enemy. Uh, But after a a while, she realized, that's not it. (laughs) So she named her second son, Vanity. Abel means vanity. So A says, Enosh realized that he was weak, frail, and mortal, so he had no trust in himself. If we realize both the vanity of human life and the frailty of man, we will have no trust in ourselves. You know, the Lord wants to bring us to the point where we have no more confidence in ourselves, no more trust in what we can do, in what we can say. No confidence in our own effort, in our own ability, in our talents. Eventually, he would bring us to the point where we realize we are nothing. And he is everything. And we call upon him, Lord Jesus. You know, Jesus literally means Jehovah our Savior. He called upon the name of Jehovah. Well, that's Jesus, right? He is Jehovah our Savior. And, uh, and that means we depend on Him. We trust in Him. We don't trust in ourselves. We trust in Him. We depend on Him. We need Him. We're helpless without Him. This is why we call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, B says the Hebrew word for call means to call out to, to cry unto. That is to cry out audibly. 
Because men realized that their life was vanity and that they were frail and mortal, they spontaneously began to call upon the name of Jehovah, the Eternal One, and the One who is intimately near. You know, at the beginning of Genesis, uh, God, uh, His name is Elohim, which refers to His relation to creation. But eventually He reveals Himself uh, to man here as Jehovah, uh, which means I am that I am. Or in the next uh, point there, the name Jehovah means I am who I am. That is the self-existing, the ever-existing one, the one who now is and who forever is. Whatever we need, he is. Amen. <clears throat> Whatever we need. This is the one we're calling upon when we call upon the name of the Lord. It's the one who wants to have an intimate relationship with us. And he's the one who is. He is. If, if you put some word there to define it, then uh, you, uh, you limit God, right? He, when he revealed this to Moses, this name... Jehovah, he just said, I am that I am. Tell my people that I am has sent you. He doesn't even define it or he doesn't limit himself. He's, he's unlimited. Whatever we need, he is. Praise the Lord. D, the proper Christian life is a life of receiving the Spirit continually by exercising our spirit to call upon the name of the Lord. This is spiritual breathing. You know, as, as Christians in the New Testament, we're instructed to pray unceasingly. Well, if our concept of prayer is I need to have my hands folded, my eyes closed, be on my knees, there's no way I can do that unce- unceasingly. Right, Dante? I mean, you've got to go to work, you've got to drive, you've got to do different things. You can't do that unceasingly. But... There's one thing that you do unceasingly, and that is you breathe, right? Whether you're driving your car, whether you're working, whether you're sitting here listening, you're breathing. And in Lamentations 3, which is the last verse reference here on uh, Jeremiah, he says, I have called upon your name, O Lord, from a low dungeon. Hide not your ear at my breathing, at my sigh. He considered his calling on the name of the Lord as his breathing. You know, we can call on the name of the Lord uh, anytime, every time, right? When you're taking a test, you can call on the name of the Lord. You might have to call quietly so you don't call the teacher's attention, right? Uh, When you're driving your car, you can call on the Lord loudly. Lord Jesus! But... However we do it, we need to be callers, calling on the name of the Lord. When we call upon the name of the Lord, we get God wrought into our being. Praise the Lord. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, he says to the church of God, which is in Corinth, to all those what, who have been sanctified called saints uh, who call on the name of the Lord uh, he is theirs and ours 
Well, that's it's not a little exact quote there, but listen, the point is that when we call, we get sanctified. When we call, that separates us from everything common. When we call on the Lord, the divine nature is wrought into our being. Calling on the Lord is a significant practice in the New Testament. It seems so small, but it means a lot. It means a lot. With Abel, when Abel practiced worshiping God according to God's revelation, um, he was righteous. When Enosh was calling on the name of the Lord, he was sanctified. Then you come to Enoch. Number three, let's read this together. Enoch walked with God by faith to escape death and to obtain the testimony that he was well-pleasing to God. Okay, let's read these verses. And Enoch lived 65 years and begot Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God after he had begotten Methuselah 300 years. And he begot more sons and daughters. And all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. How about that? This is the first person in the Bible that got raptured. They got taken up to God. He escaped death. He escaped the ultimate issue of the fall, which is death. And the way he did that was he walked with God. Of course, he also had the practices of his forefathers. He was worshiping God according to God's revealed way. He was calling on the name of the Lord, but also he was walking with God. And it says here in A, when Enoch had lived 65 years, he had a son and gave him the name Methuselah. This name has a prophetic significance, meaning when he is dead, it will be sent. Well, what is it? Do you know, Angela? Noah's flood. The flood at Noah's time. The judgment will be sent. When this person dies, God's judgment, the flood waters, which are going to wipe out the whole inhabited earth, are coming. Can you imagine? You know, Joseph here, he and his wife are going to have a son soon. About a month and a half. Joseph, what if you were awakened in the middle of the night by God sometime in the next few weeks? <laughs> and he said, you need to name your son Methuselah. When, <laughs> when he dies, the judgment is coming. How would that affect your living? <laughs> Wouldn't that cause you to walk with God? That, that would cause you to not dare to live an ungodly life. <laughs> right? Uh, well, that's certainly what happened to, to uh, Enoch here. Um, look at point B. Thereafter, day and night, Enoch was expecting the fulfillment of that prophecy. And that expectation motivated him not to follow the current of the age, but to walk with God and thus live a godly and holy life. Well, brothers and sisters, we need to have this kind of revelation. Judgment is coming, right? 
Actually, the, the New Testament tells us that the Lord's coming, he says, it will be as it was in the days of Noah. That's what it's going to be like. Just like in the days of Noah. And they were eating and drinking and marrying, giving in marriage, and they weren't even aware that judgment was coming. But we need to be those who are sober, right? We're not drugged by the present age, but we have a realization. The Lord Jesus is coming back. And that should motivate us to walk with Him. <clears throat> you know, it says that he, he was motivated not to follow the current of the age, but to walk with God. This age has a current. It has a current. It's just flowing along. And eventually, it's going to end up in the lake of fire. And uh, <clears throat> most of the people on this earth are like dead leaves in that, in that flow, in that river. They're just floating along. They have no power to resist. The next fashion comes along, the next trend. Uh, they're just floating along with the current of the age. And <clears throat> this age is going downhill fast. Exponentially. You know, I've been around for a few decades, and I can testify that the level of corruption, the level of immorality, the level of degradation in society today is orders of magnitude greater than it was just a few decades ago. Orders of magnitude. Uh, <clears throat> well, we don't want to follow the current of the age, right? We want to be those who are <clears throat> uh, taking God's way, worshiping God according to God's way, calling upon the name of the Lord to be sanctified, and who are walking with God, not according to the current of the age. Now, <clears throat> I think we all should read point C together. Go. This, this defines what it means to walk with God, okay? Go. To walk with God is to not override God, <clears throat> to not be presumptuous. <clears throat> and to not do anything without God. Well, <clears throat> to walk with another person is not easy. It's not easy. In order to walk with another person, you have to deny yourself. You have to deny your preference. You have to deny your way. Uh, maybe you want to go left, but the person you're walking with turns right. So you have to deny your preference. Eventually, you have to deny your whole, your whole being, your whole self, in order to walk with another person. Well, that's what it means to walk with God. Um, to not do things according to our own concept. We're always considering the Lord, consulting with the Lord. Lord, how do you feel? Lord, which way are you going? Lord, I just want to be one with you. I want to walk with you. Uh, so dependent on Him. Okay, D says, to walk with God is to walk by faith. Faith means that we believe that God is. This comes from the verse there in Hebrews 11. To believe that God is, is to deny ourself. In the whole universe, He is, and all of us are nothing. <clears throat> you know, it's interesting in the verse concerning um, Enoch there, verse 24, it says, And Enoch walked with God, and he was not. 
And then in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, it says he believed that God is. We, we must believe that God is. If he is, that means we are not, right? <laughs> well, we still, have, we still are something, but as we walk with him, we become less and less, and eventually we're nothing. And we're not. Uh, as we walk with the Lord, we mature in the divine life. The Lord grows in us. Point E says, our being raptured, escaping death, depends on our being mature in the divine life by our walking with God. You know, there's a misconception out there about the rapture. Sometimes I've seen this bumper sticker. It says on the back of a car, uh, <clears throat> in case of rapture, this car will be unmanned or something like that. See, yeah, right. people have this misconception that, well, I received the Lord 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, I'm fine. As soon as whenever the Lord comes back, I'm suddenly going to be taken up. Actually, it's not going to be so suddenly uh, if you're not mature. Right? Because the rapture in the book of Revelation is likened to a harvest of a grain field. And you never harvest grain until it's dry. It has to be dry. It has to be fully ripe. And when grain is ripe, it's dried out. When grapes are ripe, they're full of water. But when grain is ripe, it's dry. And all that moisture, that water, signifies the water of this age. It needs to be dried out of us. We're still green. Austin, we're still green. We still have worldly juice in us. We still care for the things of the world. But the more we walk with God, the more the worldly juice is drying out. It's drying out. If you harvest grain when it's green, it's going to mold. It's going to rot. You have to wait until it's dried out. So the Lord is going to wait until we're dry, until we're mature. Uh, until he has grown in us to a sufficient degree, then he can take us. And if we're not ready uh, by the time of the great tribulation, then that will be God's mercy to us to allow us to go through the, that situation to be dried out. Can you imagine when the great tribulation is going on? Are you going to be caring for the things of the world? No, you're going to be caring for God, right? <laughs> All the worldly juice will be dried out of you. It's God's mercy so that you can be raptured before his second coming. Uh, Well, this should be an incentive to us. It should be a motivation to us to walk with God. Just like Enoch was motivated uh, by Methuselah to walk with God. Because he realized when this person dies, the judgment is coming. So anyways, this is... Uh, These three are a pattern for us, a pattern uh, to live an overcoming life. In this dark age, in this corrupt age, thank the Lord we have patterns, and patterns in the Word that we can follow uh, to live an overcoming life. Now, as I mentioned, Abel, he was righteous because he took God's way of redemption. And Enosh... He was sanctified by calling on the name of the Lord. And then, uh, you know, to be sanctified means to be holy. To be holy, to have God's divine nature. And then Enoch was taken up in glory uh, by walking with God. And these three things, 
God's righteousness, God's holiness, and God's glory are the very three things that prevented fallen man from approaching and partaking of the tree of life. When, When man fell, the way to the tree of life was blocked by a flaming sword and by two cherubim. And those things signify the glory of God, the righteousness of God, and the holiness of God. But by our taking these three as our pattern, Abel, Enosh, and Enoch, we are becoming the righteousness of God in Christ. And we are becoming holy, sanctified. Carl, he's sanctifying us. Amen. His divine nature is being wrought into our being. Amen. And also, glory. <clears throat> the very expression of God. We're becoming the very things that prevented us from approaching the tree of life. Who is God, right? Praise the Lord.